Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Baywatch, a Tampa Bay sports podcast. My name is Michael Wax. I am your host. Let's jump right into the Tampa sports news that has happened over the past week. And I want to start off with the MLB draft. Now, before I get into the analytics and the specifics of what happened with the Rays and their draft picks, I want to talk a little bit about how the draft is different between the MLB and the rest of the competitive major four sports. There are three main differences that we see when we look at the MLB draft versus, let's say, the NHL or even the NBA, one of which is the length of the draft, and each sport has their own length when it comes to the amount of rounds. The NHL and the NFL are both seven rounds in length, and the NBA has even less of a draft, with it only being two rounds. This has to do with the amount of roster size, whereas if you look at Major League Baseball, you can have anywhere from 40 rounds to, I believe, Mike Piazza, who's a Hall of Fame catcher, was drafted in the 62nd round. So you can have a wide range of rounds when it comes to the MLB draft length. And in this particular case, the length was more towards the previous sports mentioned than it was towards the normal amount of length when it came to previous MLB drafts in the fact that the coronavirus really put a hamper on scouts' ability to do their job and general managers to be able to see college and high school prospects. So the length of the draft was made five rounds instead of the normal dozens and dozens of rounds that it usually is. The second big difference that I've seen between the other big three sports and the MLB comes in the immediate impact that these talents can make. For instance, the number one pick in the NFL, the NHL, and the NBA usually makes it onto the pro roster immediately. One positive that I would say about the MLB draft compared to all of the other major sports is that these players are given time to develop. Whether they're in high school or college, some of the Rays prospects that we'll talk about, they were already committed to colleges if they were drafted in high school, and they will continue their college careers if they were already in college when they got picked. From there, they have to go through several different levels of playing, whether it's rookie ball or A or AA or AAA before they even touch the majors, and then it might take even more time for them to develop. And I think that's why we're seeing an increase in the amount of overseas talent and international talents that are now signing. So, for example, the Tigers' number one overall pick was Spencer Torkelson, a third baseman out of Arizona State. Torkelson is extremely talented. And if everything works out properly, Torkelson will be a superstar for the Tigers. But that is a giant if. Because as we've seen before, players can come out of nowhere in different drafts, like Mike Piazza, 
Kevin Kiermeyer is another one. He was drafted in the 31st round. These types of players can come out of nowhere and be superstars. And these first-round talents might not be that good, to be quite honest with you. And all the hope to Spencer Torkelson, I hope he becomes one of the premier talents in the MLB. But that might not happen for a really long time. Once again, he's still at Arizona State. Once he's done with Arizona State, he's going directly into the Minor League Baseball Association. It'll take a good three to four years for him to at least sniff AAA in the majors. So it'll be really tough for him. Likewise, you look at previous number one overall picks, two really stand out in terms of players that have had time to develop and really couldn't. And both of them happened to be drafted by the Astros when the Astros were tanking from 2012 to 2014. In 2013, they selected Mark Appel, and in 2014, they selected Brady Aiken. Both of those players have struggled mightily, and I believe either are in one of the lower tiers when it comes to the Minor League Baseball Association, or they're out of baseball entirely. So you don't know what's going to happen. And best of luck to Spencer Torkelson. Best of luck to Casey Miz, who was the other Detroit Tigers' first overall pick in 2018. But it'll be a while until Tigers fans are able to reap the reward of Torkelson, of Miz, and of the other fantastic talent that the Tigers have in their minor league system. That's just the way that baseball goes. Now, the third major difference between the MLB draft and the rest of the big four sports is the trades that are involved during draft day, or should I say the lack of trades during draft day. Whenever we talk about the opportunities to select players in the other three sports, that being the NBA, the NHL, and the NFL, we not only talk about what players could our team select, we talk about what trades they can make in order to get more assets, in order to get more quality players. And in the MLB, these things don't happen. And I think it's to the detriment of the sport, is you don't have those breaking trades during the draft day. You pick the player you want, and oh shucks, if he goes before you, that sucks, but you're stuck in that position, and you now have to find someone different instead of trading back like other people do. You can't trade ahead to try to get a player that you really, really like. An example of a trade resulting in picks being exchanged was the Jose Martinez and Matt Libertor trade that happened earlier this offseason for the Rays. The Rays ended up getting a competitive balance pick late in the first round. It ended up being the last pick in the first round in exchange for the Cardinals. They got the last pick or one of the last picks in the second round as a competitive balance B pick. Those are the only real trades you see when it comes to trading picks. You don't see those on draft day. You don't see those during the season. It's mostly during the offseason when the draft order is set in stone. And we see a lot of teams getting picks when it comes to free agent signing and the compensation 
that they get, which that's another wormhole to get into. But overall, you don't see a lot of pick trading. And I think that's to the MLB's detriment because it's such a giant league that you could argue, well, why would we trade a ton of picks when we could just trade players? And I would argue that, hey, for the Justin Verlander trade, the Tigers got a lot of prospects who might turn into something, but if they were to trade him away and possibly get prospects and picks like we see in other leagues, that would have been a more enticing trade. That would have been something that I think Tigers fans would have been more favorable towards. And I think you could see that a lot with trades that either happen during the season or a possibility of trades happening during draft day. Anyways, that's my little piece explaining the differences between the MLB draft and the other big four sports drafts. Once again, trades, not including competitive balance pick swaps, immediate impact, and the length of each draft. Now, moving on to the actual draft, I think the Rays did phenomenal. I think that the players that they got, and yes, they really, really hit the nail when it came to two specific positions, and they didn't draft anything other than these two specific positions, but they loaded up on depth, and it got quality depth. And we complained a lot, and I know I complained when I was talking to people about the draft, that the Rays didn't end up going and getting a catcher in the draft. Well, as we've seen before with Nick Shufo, drafting a catcher, especially early, doesn't really pay dividends for you. So the Rays have had a catching problem for a really long time, Travis Starno and Wilson Ramos notwithstanding. I understand. However, you only have one really good catching prospect in the pipeline in Ronaldo Hernandez, who I believe can carry the Rays in the catching front for a really long time. Why not get a little bit more depth? And we saw them get depth at shortstop and at pitcher. And at pitcher, it's a little bit different. You can excuse it. You know, we use a lot of pitchers, especially now with all of our pitching techniques that we use. But at least in shortstop, we have a lot of middle infielders. Why didn't we go get a catcher? And to my own argument, I would say we have a stopgap. And Michael Perez is very good on the main roster. I really like Michael Perez. I know a lot of people find him as just an average catcher. Mike Zanino is one of the best defensive catchers in baseball and does have a problem when it comes to connecting with the baseball on the offensive side. Hit 160 last year. But overall, he's a great defensive catcher. And you've got Ronaldo Hernandez in the pipeline. That's fine. So, in that regard, the main roster stop gaps are fine. The problem comes in organizational depth. And as we saw last year, we had to go six and seven catchers deep in order to find a suitable replacement when everyone got injured. That's what I'm worried about. I'm not worried about whether or not the Rays can find the next catching hero of the next decade. Because I believe we have that in Hernandez. I'm worried about if Zanino goes down and Perez goes down and Hernandez isn't ready, 
can we find somebody? And, you know, maybe the draft isn't the right place to get that, but we could at least try and build up the pipeline when it comes to catching prospects. Because the Rays have not had very good catchers since Deonor Navarro. Jose Molina was fine when it came to defense. Wilson Ramos was not a great catcher, but was a good offensive player. And I would argue the same for Travis Darnell. And that's why he moved to first base. So I hope that the Rays eventually build up the pipeline when it comes to catcher. All right, that rant aside, how did the Rays do? And with their first pick, they knocked it out of the park. At 24th overall in the first round, they drafted right-handed pitcher Nick Bitsko, who's from Central Bucks High School in Pennsylvania. And a lot of people had him going in the early teens, and maybe even before that. The fact that the Rays were able to get Bitsko at 24 is fantastic. He's a great player, and he's not just a pitcher. He talked with the rest of the Rays reporters and Rays staff that he is willing and wants to keep his two-way game. He hit 450 in his final season, and he didn't play in 2020 because of the coronavirus. High school sports tend to be a little bit different when it comes to playing under circumstance, but he is a fantastic pitcher, and he's a good hitter. He hit 450 in his final season. And if the Rays can develop someone in the Brendan McKay-type style, and I don't think he's going to be Brendan McKay. Brendan McKay is a unicorn. Brendan McKay is like Shohei Otani. So putting that off to one side, if you can get that type of two-way player and develop him in the system, allow him to hit while also making sure that his pitching is priority number one, you could have a star in the making. And... A little bit more about Bisco. He is one of the top players in terms of his fastball velocity in this draft. His fastball ranges usually from 92 to 96 miles per hour, which in high school, good luck hitting that, and it tops out at 97. He's currently committed to the University of Virginia. So again, this is another case of the Rays drafting someone that won't help immediately. But if the University of Virginia is allowing him to continue his two-way game and the Rays organization allows him to continue his two-way game when he gets to the minors, I think it's someone that can make an impact. So thumbs up, A-plus for Nick Bisco. Moving on to the last pick of the first round, competitive balance round A. With the 37th overall pick, the Rays once again went into a middle infield crisis and said, we don't have enough shortstops, and they drafted Akia Williams. Williams is a very, very talented player. Currently at Arizona State University, Williams is not the best hitter. He did hit 250 this past season. Season was cut short, obviously. But he did hit 333 in 2019. So if he can find that spark again, maybe he will be that type of rebound hitter, that primary shortstop that can really drive the ball for contact rather than getting power. Because despite the season being cut short this year, he was on pace to even match his power numbers from last year. And his power numbers from last year 
weren't even that good. But the real standout when it comes to him as a player is his defense. Oh man, is this guy fantastic with the glove. He was on the 2019 Pac-12 all-defensive team. He has some great vision when it comes to spotting the ball square off the bat and figuring out what kind of plays he has to make. He's a very intelligent player, and you see this both in the field and with his fantastic plate discipline. And this led to him being an all-Pac-12 honorable mention in 2019. Yeah, he was a good hitter in 2019, but his defense really wowed scouts into making him a first-round pick. And he might have gone higher if it wasn't for the coronavirus, but the Rays getting him at 37, I would say, is a pretty good pick. Maybe they reached a little bit, but I would say I like that pick. I would give it a B plus. So first two picks, well done, Rays. With the second round selection, 57th overall, the Rays went back to the pitching well, and this time they got someone from the left-handed pitching family. Uh, Ian Seymour out of Virginia Tech, who has some strikingly good numbers. And I know numbers aren't the entire picture, but he has the ability to be a mini Nick Anderson, if I may use a Ray comparable. And he was compared to Ryan Yarborough because of his size and his lack of weight. He's six foot five, 190. But he throws like Nick Anderson. He led the Hokies in wins and strikeouts in 2020. He reached 50 strikeouts in both 2018 and 2019. And he became the first Virginia Tech pitcher in history to record 50 strikeouts in multiple seasons, and he would have done it again. He had 40 strikeouts in just four games. And I know that stats aren't everything when it comes to a pitcher's delivery, and yeah, he does have a bit of a funkier delivery when you look at him. His arm is more to the wayside than you would think for a left-handed pitcher. That's why he's compared to Ryan Yarbrough a little bit too, but once again, Yarbrough is a product of the Rays system. The Rays know how to use those types of funky players to their advantage. And if they can make Seymour one of those types of talents, he could be great. And he could be a strikeout machine, similar in the way that Nick Anderson is. So he is a Ryan Yarbrough and Nick Anderson type hybrid player. And he's a good pick. Again, I should have prefaced this in the beginning. We don't know what these picks are going to be like for a number of years. But for right now, I would say I really, really like this pick because of his potential. And the fact that he's six foot five, 190 gives him that deception of kind of knowing where he in the strike zone he wants to throw and batters not being able to detect it until further down the line when it's already past them and into the catcher's mitt. So for this pick, I'll give it a B. It's a good pick. Then we went to round three. And for even the 
best of the best when it comes to baseball minds. At least some in my age range. Round three is where you start to get names that you've never heard of, even if you've done your research. Because, again, this is a very loaded draft. This was one of the top talent drafts in a very long time, but there's only so many names that you can recognize. So, after doing a little bit of research, I really do like this pick as well. With the 96th overall pick, the Rays selected right-handed pitcher Hunter Barnhart out of St. Joseph High School. And Barnhart is a two-sport athlete, which kind of worries you. You remember when the Oakland Athletics drafted Kyler Murray in the top 10. Kyler Murray right now is the starting quarterback of the Arizona Cardinals. So they wasted that draft pick. Here, I would say he has ability to stay focused with baseball. He said that many times, and he said that once he got drafted. He's got a very good fastball, throws it at 96 miles an hour, and his curveball is honestly one of the best in the entire draft. I've seen videos of his subsequent minor pitches, but his curveball is by far his best in his arsenal and one of the best in the draft. So that's not really a pitch he needs to work on if he wants to make it even further along in the system. He should continue to work on it, but in terms of making sure that he is quality, he probably wants to work on the location of his fastball. It is questionable at times. He was talented enough to make the 2014 Team USA national team. However, Things have waned off a little bit. He still is a very talented pitcher. And he's committed to Arizona State right now. So hopefully Arizona State can will him back into throwing a precise fastball. That's his major problem. But overall, still like the pick. I'll give it a B. As you can tell, I really like this draft. That's why I've given the majority of the picks so far good grades. Going into the fourth round, 125th overall, the Rays doubled down on the shortstop aspect and went with Tanner Murray out of UC Davis. Tanner Murray is a really, really solid hitter. And he does play in a conference where the competition is not as strong. But as far as his ability to make contact, he is by far the best player that the Rays could have drafted at that position. He hit 310 this year in unlimited access, of course. He hit 364 last year, which really raised some eyebrows and I think propelled him into the fourth round. He does have a lot of infield assists, which is a number that doesn't really matter when it comes to shortstops, but it was an eye-popping number of 147 infield assists in 2019 alone. I just don't know if I love that pick in terms of a fielding perspective. I do like it in terms of a hitter, what he is and what he can be, but I don't know if he is that solid two-way player that the Rays are looking for when it comes to their pipeline. And I don't know if it's the strongest player in terms of need. And I know that there's this giant debate, and we talked about it when we were talking with Jack Touchton on our second episode. I don't 
like talking about position of need versus drafting best player available. And I do believe at that position, Tanner Murray is the best player available at the 125th pick when he was selected. However, Willie Adamas is your major league shortstop. Wander Franco is in your system. You just got Xavier Edwards from the Padres, and he is kind of a second baseman, I understand, but he does play a little bit of shortstop as well. You've got Vidal Brugian, who is an extremely talented prospect, and again, he is one of those players that is second base shortstop hybrid. And let's not forget, you drafted a shortstop in the first round this year when you went with Alika Williams at 37 overall. So it's really a questionable pick, not because of the talent, but because of the need to draft something other than a middle infielder. So in that regard, I do think it's the worst pick in the draft for the race. I would give it a C. As a talent, very good hitter. I don't think the Rays needed him, though. Moving on to the fifth round and the final round this year. With the 155th overall selection, the Rays selected right-handed pitcher Jeff Hackinson. Jeff Hackinson is at UCF. He's a local boy. He was raised in Tampa. He even told reporters about when he went to the ALDS Game 4. This season for UCF, he was actually really good. He didn't allow a run in seven appearances. He had a 17.55 strikeout per nine mark in 2019. And he was three innings shy of having the highest strikeout per nine mark in Central Florida history. He went to Jesuit High School, which is known for getting these fantastic prospects to college and drafted straight out of high school. So, very excited to see what he can do. He's purely a bullpen pitcher, so there's no reason to think that they would stretch him out and make him even a starter. Maybe an opener, but even a starter. So, for that, I would give it a B-. minus. He is a, a serviceable pick. That includes the draft. And again, it was shortened this year because of the coronavirus and the lack of scouting. However, I think the Rays did very, very well. As you can tell, trying not to be biased, I gave the Rays no pick lower than a C. And the C pick was purely because I believed that they could have drafted a different position at that point. But overall, very, very well done for the Rays. Props to Eric Neander. Props to the rest of the staff. It was their first true test, I think, after losing both Kyle Bloom to the Red Sox and James Click to the Astros, giving both of those men general manager position. And I thought the Astros did fine. I thought the Red Sox did a little bit better than fine. But I really think the Rays capitalized on the circumstances and the situations and really went with their gut, and their gut produced some quality picks. 
Moving quickly to the NHL, and this is very brief, but the NHL has decided that they will start Phase 3 of their Return to Play plan very soon. Phase 3 of the Return to Play plan will be on July 10th. This is a tentative date, but since they've already agreed to it and things hopefully don't get worse on that front of the coronavirus that would mean that the resumption of the NHL season would probably be at the beginning of August, which is fantastic news. And I know I've said that word a lot, but it is great news to see that the NHL is back. And we're missing sports right now. I believe since the last game was played, it has been at least two to three months. So even a late July, early August start date is perfect when it comes to the season, and it is great when it comes to training camps reopening. Things are going to be a little bit different when it comes to that, and we've already seen players get onto the ice being six feet apart, as people have said all the time, but they're really getting their work in now. The Bolts posted a recent video on their Instagram showing them working out on the ice recently, which got a lot of fans excited. And I think it's going to be great. And as we get closer, I will create episodes completely attached to the NHL playoffs and play-in rounds and who I think will win. And hopefully we'll have a couple of guests on. But for now, that is where we stand. The NHL currently looking to return on July 10th for Phase 3, and early August for Phase 4, which is the play-in rounds. Finally, in the last bit of news, and this is a big piece, Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida signed a likeness bill which allows college student-athletes to profit off of their image and likeness and name. And with this, Florida becomes the third state to do this behind California, who was the first, and Colorado. And what's interesting about Florida being one of these states to sign on is that they would have the first effect when it came to the likeness bill. They are tentative, making it so that Florida athletes will start to get their compensation on July 1st of 2021. That's when the bill would go into effect. This is huge news, and for college athletes, it couldn't have come at a better time. The NCAA has been profiting off of student likeness for decades and decades, and we've seen hundreds and hundreds of pieces either written about it or done on video or done just podcast-wise. So it's very, very nice to see that Florida is taking a step to make sure that their players in general are getting compensated for their time, for their likeness, for their name, and for their recognition. Dan Mullen did say that this would go heavily when it came to recruiting players, and frankly, I don't blame him. But it's not just going to be the University of Florida. It's going to be FSU. It's going to be USF. It's going to be 
University of Tampa even. I have a couple of friends that are on the baseball team there. They might have the opportunity to get a little bit of compensation for the horrendous schedule that a student athlete has. So for now, that is a very tentative initial headline when it comes to Ron DeSantis signing this bill. And as this goes on, we will have more information. But for now, I think it's a great thing for students. I think it's a great thing for athletes. And maybe it increases the likelihood of athletes wanting to make those higher jumps into different Division One, Division Two schools. Maybe it allows students that are in club sports to get maybe not as much of a compensation, but maybe a little bit. Again, I'm just spitballing. But for now, that is all we know. And with that, episode five of Baywatch comes to an end. I want to thank each and every one of you that are either watching or listening to this, wherever you are watching or listening to this. It is greatly appreciated. I, I thank you all. If you're on YouTube, please don't hesitate to give this a like, a share, or a subscription to my channel. If you are listening on anything else, be sure to give us a follow. Be sure to like our show. There's a lot going on in the realm of Tampa sports right now, and I couldn't be happier that I've started this show, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So once again, this was Baywatch Episode 5. My name is Mike Wax, and I will see you next time.